Throughout our story, every time someone doubts whether or not Jesus is who he says that he is, he shows up in the room and he says, look, like, here are my hairs, the scar. And when she's like, I'm, she's distraught and she's doubting where he is and what's this, Jesus calls her name and he reveals himself. I'm alive. I'm real. Touch. I mean, it, it's incredible. The way that Jesus deals with our doubts is not condemnation, but it's revelation. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Alright. Okay, guys. Uh, you know, I'm coming to you live from my garage. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to John's Gospel, chapter 20. John, chapter 20. America. Uh, we're going to pick up in our study uh, through the Gospel of John. We're almost done, and uh, we should finish it by the time this quarantine is over. So within the next 30 days, so um, we should finish it soon. All right. Um, let's pray, and then we'll get into God's Word together. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for the time that we have to get into your Word together. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the God who is everywhere. And so... Um, Lord, you're here with me, uh, and you are in every home as, as we watch this together, as we um, are able to do this and, and to view each other from afar. But we're so thankful that you're the God who is um, omnipresent, that you're everywhere all the time. And so uh, we're so grateful for that, that you're with us. And um, we just pray, Lord, that your presence would fill each of us, each room that this is being seen in, that your, your word would go forth in power. Um, as it's so, uh, so faithful to do. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you that you're alive. Lord, as we talk to you, as we pray to you right now, we're so thankful that you hear us, that you're alive. And um, so God, we just pray that you'd um, teach us by the power of the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, John chapter 20, we left off looking at last week, the crucifixion of Jesus, um, his death, his burial, we looked at some of the sayings and some of the things that he had said from the cross. And I told you uh, we were going to go back and look at one of those statements specifically. And that was the, the one, it is finished, which is tetelestai, meaning paid in full. And so we'll kind of discuss that a little bit more tonight. And um, But we left off that story with the disciples on that Friday in despair of the future. And um, the future that they were looking forward to... Uh, was now gone. I mean, we know the end of the story. I mean, you, hopefully you know the end of the story. If you don't, you're going to know it by the end of tonight. But um, we know the end of that story, and, and they don't. So in reading the text, it's good for us to kind of put ourselves into the shoes of the disciples, at the or the sandals of the disciples at the moment, and just to think the way that, that they would be feeling at this time. Jesus has now been uh, crucified. They watched that happen. Um, they watched his body taken down from the cross. They watched as it was taken to this tomb and, and placed there in a garden. And um, you can imagine, like, all of their hopes, that's not the future that they were thinking. That's not the Messiah that they thought was going to come or the way that it was going to go down. And so uh, the the one that they thought was their Messiah had now been slain. He's, he's dead. But here we come to the first day of the week on this Sunday after the Sabbath was over 
And um, it's just now beginning to come to light in their minds. In, and we're going to see, um, but uh, literally the day is dawning to this Sunday morning. And uh, we pick up in verse 1. It says, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. It was at first light on that Sabbath after the Sabbath day was over. Um, so it was still dark outside. Um, still, you know, the sun is just coming up. And if you've ever been up at that time, I rarely am. But if you've ever been up at that time, you can see like it's so dark outside. Um, and it's it's crazy. Just before the sun comes up, it's it's pretty dark. But it's at that moment where Mary and we're told by the other apostle or the other gospel writers that there were other women that were involved. There were several women that were involved and were with Mary Magdalene. But John highlights just kind of the most vital parts of uh, what he's experiencing in this uh, in the resurrection story. And so just kind of like knifes through a lot of the different details and just kind of highlights the ones that he wanted to specifically um, highlight for us. And so um, he says that there is, he highlights the life of Mary Magdalene. And we don't know much about here, uh, much about her, but what we do know about her is that she came from the area of Magdala, which was there on the coast. Um, we also are told that she was possessed by seven demons. So that's tough. Um, not one, not three not five, but seven demons. And she was delivered. She was healed by Jesus and her life was never the same. She was completely delivered and, and she followed after Christ. She was one of his disciples. Um, but we also find that she came to that tomb not expecting to see the risen Lord. She was expecting to find a dead body. She wasn't expecting the stone to be gone and for no one to be there, especially coming that early in the morning um, she was hoping to find a body and it says that the stone had been rolled away. This stone was this massive, massive stone. I mean, it, it took multiple people, perhaps an animal to move this thing back and forth. It was sealed by the Romans so that no one could claim that Jesus's body had been risen or, or that he had risen from the grave if someone had broken it and stolen it. And so we know that soldiers were placed there. We know that a stone was placed over the entrance to the tomb. Um, also to keep animals and things out from going in and, and, you know, all of that. So this is a massive piece of rock. So when we, when we talk about the details of it, there's a lot of people who who skeptics who say like, well, this couldn't have happened. And, you know, they could have stolen the body. And there was Roman guards there who were, you know, on punishment of death, were told to guard the body of Jesus. Um, and so anyway, just some of the details that are there. But um, when she comes to the tomb, she's expecting to find the body of Jesus and to prepare it. Joseph of Arimathea. Hi. Hold on. My daughter just walked in. Hello, Molly. Can I help you with something? Say hello to the folks. Hi. Hi. Does mom know you're out here? No. No, you snuck out? Okay. I'll come in later, okay? I'll see you later. Okay. I'll, I'm almost done. I got like 30 minutes or so. All right? Love you. Bye. And they still find me. I don't know. So, there we go. Um, sorry, this is going to be a little shorter and a lot less in-depth because... I only have about 30 or 40 minutes on live before it kind of shuts off. So 
Um, last week it shut off on me. This week, hopefully, I'll be able to end with any of the <laughs> with it doing that. So, um, yeah, that just totally threw me off. She's cute, but just like totally threw me off. Um, <laughs> uh, it's really scary to be alone in the garage, like, and it's dark, and then all of a sudden the door opens really creepy and slow, and there's like a little face there. Um, but it's a cute face. So, um, anyway, we're expecting to, or she's expecting to find the body of Jesus and she's hoping to prepare it. Um, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus did what they could with the time that they had to repair the body, but they were on a, a quick time frame, hoping to get the body off the cross into the tomb, prepared as quickly as they could. Um, and so probably the women were coming to, again, do it properly, make sure that it was taken care of, um, to, to really show honor to the dead. And, but she's expecting that. She's not expecting a risen Lord. She's not expecting Jesus to be gone. And her reaction, when she finds out, when she says, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. So her reaction is, someone has stolen the body. Her reaction isn't, he is risen, like he said. Her reaction is, the body's gone. And we don't know where it is. And we point that out. And the reason, you know, John points this out and gives us this detail for a specific reason. The Holy Spirit doesn't waste words for us. It doesn't just try and fill in detail here and there. This is written for, for a specific purpose. And I think the specific purpose is this. When people point out, um, you know, Jesus, Jesus, you know, rose from the dead, people deny that fact. They usually will say, you know, the Christian will say, well, he was seen by over 500 witnesses. I mean, that's proof, right? Um, 500 eyewitnesses. Some would say that because they wanted this so much, that they, this was a psychological projection because they wanted it to happen and they wished it to happen so bad that they began to see this image and they, they basically wished it into existence and so much that they imagined it. But John gives us this detail for a specific reason. Mary came to that tomb expecting to find the body of Jesus, not a risen Lord, which indicates that her mind was not in this place of like, I hope, I wish, I know. And so there was no psychological projection. There was simply her just coming to the tomb to show respect for the Lord. And she wasn't expecting to find um, a risen Savior. She was expecting to find a, a, um, her Lord murdered. That's what she was coming to find. And so people would say like, oh, you know, they just imagined it. To her, it was gone. The hope was lost. She wasn't imagining anything. She wasn't hoping that this was taking place. This wasn't her expectation. And so again, just kind of validates the fact that uh, Jesus is risen. In verse 2, it says, then she ran, right? Verse 3 says, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief or the handkerchief, 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 handkerchief. We'll go with that. Um, I always thought it was handkerchief, but I've been pronouncing it wrong for the last 34 years or 
30 years. I didn't speak when I was, anyway. Uh, that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple came, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. Um, Peter and John, when she comes and says, the body's gone. We don't know where it's gone. John and Peter jump up and they take off running to the tomb. They want to find out what's going on. No hesitation, no waiting around. They just take off running to go find out what's happening. Uh, now, John adds some colorful detail here for us that he outran Peter. P you know, Peter being an older gentleman, perhaps a little, out of, a little bigger, a little out of shape. Um, it wasn't running as quickly as John. And so John adds this kind of detail that he outran Peter, which is awesome that John is humble enough to leave himself out of the book. Like he always calls himself the one who Jesus loved or the other disciple, but he's proud enough to mention that he outran Peter at this moment, which is a pretty cool little dig on them. So for some reason though, John, when he, he comes to the tomb, he stoops down and looks in, but he doesn't go in. Uh, he saw the grave clothes. He tells us what he saw, but he's standing from the outside. He won't enter into the tomb for some reason. And some have said perhaps it's because he saw the grave clothes and thought maybe someone had just gone in and, and vandalized or done something to the body. He didn't want to see it. And so, but we don't know. He doesn't go in. But he saw the grave clothes, but no, not the body. And maybe he thought someone had desecrated that tomb or something or done something terrible. And so he doesn't go in right away. We have to understand the tomb itself and what it was like just to kind of, again, put ourselves into that place. Um, it was a tomb of a rich man, not a tomb of a poor man. This would have been a large tomb with different portions uh, and different portioned out areas for many family members to be in that tomb. Um, and a lot of times there would be like a, a section that were a, a platform where a body could like perhaps carved out into the, into the walls. Um, and as the bodies would decompose, the families could come in then and take the remaining bones and they would put them in boxes and make room for more family member or for the next family member that would die. And that's just kind of how things were and how things worked in ancient Israel and in that time and the way that they performed the burial process. But so as Peter goes in, it reminds me of chapter 20 when John went into the priest's house. Remember when Jesus is being tried, I think it was 19 or 20, 19. In chapter 19, um, Peter is stuck outside and John gets to go in and then they bring Peter in later. And Peter's like, not this time. I'm going in. You stay outside. I get to go see what's going on. And so Peter runs in to the tomb, you know, maybe out of breath, a little red face, comes walking in. And what he sees is the pieces of cloth that had been wrapped, that wrapped the limbs and the headpiece that was folded and placed in another place. And so, um, like the body had just been evaporated out of the grave clothes, but the, the headpiece was folded nicely and placed somewhere else. And, and John gives us these really cool little details about what they saw inside the tomb. Um, but in verse 8, it says, then the other disciple who came into the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Verse 8 is really interesting. John mentions that when he goes in, finally he kind of, as Peter goes first, which is probably smart, 
Like, you don't know what's in there. Like, yeah, let, why don't you go in first? And you figure it out. And then now that he's still alive, then John goes in to check it out. Um, I don't know why. That just made me laugh. Sorry. It's not funny. It's very serious. But he goes into uh, the tomb, and John sees the grave clothes there. And what he saw, it says that it actually causes him to believe. John, something happens to him where he is now filled with faith, and what he saw in the empty tomb and the grave clothes caused him to believe that Jesus was who he said that he was and that he, in fact, was alive. He'd risen from the dead. And someone uh, said earlier today, I was listening to a study on it, they said um, John was the first in the foot race and he was first in the faith race. And so John is mentioning his two firsts here, that he was the first to believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. He believed, but he didn't understand it and how it fit within the scriptures itself. He believed that it had happened and the fact of it, but didn't understand the meaning of it. And, and so just at looking at those two things, like the facts of the resurrection and the resurrection and what it means, um, in, in the sense of the facts, it happened. It is a historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead. There's no bones. There's no grave. There's no headpiece and where he, he was laid. The body of Jesus, the physical body of Jesus, was resurrected. He is alive. Whether you believe it or not, Jesus is alive. He lives independent of our faith in the resurrection. This is established as a historical fact. So whether you believe it or not, the fact that Jesus lives is a historical fact. That is the fact of it. He doesn't, it's not like we have to wish him to life. He lives whether or not people believe it or not. Um, Jesus is alive. And so that changes, changes everything for us. That changes our whole life, how we live, how we treat other people. Um, it, it changes our whole life. Where we'll end up, that this is not the end for us, that life after this exists because he lives, we too shall live. I mean, ah, just crazy. The fact of the resurrection is that Jesus is alive. Whether you believe it or not, it happened. Whether you believe in the Louisiana Purchase it, I mean, it could be, <laughs> so I don't know why I thought of that, but whether you believe that happened or not, I mean, there's documentation that it took place. It has happened. Whether you believe it or not, it happened. And the same thing with the resurrection of Jesus. It happened. It doesn't hinge on the fact of whether you believe it happened or not. It took place. That is the fact of it. Now, what the resurrection means, and just to give us a few things because there's so many things that we could go into and we have limited amount of time. What it means is that Jesus is who he said that he was. That when he rose from the grave, he proved that he was not a lunatic, nor was he a liar, but he was the Lord. He was God in flesh. He was God. He was the only one who could do that, who could raise himself up to die. And listen, to never die again. Lazarus rose from the dead, but he later died physically again. The, the point is uh, of, of Jesus' resurrection is that he rose to never die again. And it also tells us, the second thing, is that his people who believe in him can be sure of their resurrection as well. So Jesus was the first fruits 
of those who would then follow. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 through 23, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. It is assurance for us that because Christ lives, historically fact, it's happened, the, the truth is, and what it means for us is that those who believe in him will also rise. That death is not the end, but it is the beginning of eternity for every believer in Jesus Christ. But it also... The third thing is that the cross is the greatest illustration of the love of God for us, right? We've been talking about it for months. Um, if you want to know, if you ever question, like, does God love me? Am I even lovable? The Bible always points us to the cross of Christ and says, yes, absolutely. Yes, you are. Because this proves it. This is, this is what we know of, of God's love is that he died for us when we were unlovable, when we were rejecting him, when we hated him, when we had not wanted nothing to do with him. It always points us to that fact. That is the greatest illustration of the love of God. But the resurrection is the greatest illustration of the power of God. It's the greatest illustration for us. Even more than creation itself is the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the illustration of the power of God in the word of God for us. That God can bring dead things back to life. He can resurrect anything. He is the resurrection and the life. And so if he can, he can do that, he can do anything. He can save me. He can save you. He can save anybody. To those who would call upon his name, um, they shall be saved. The resurrection is that great illustration of the power of God. But what it also means for us is that the payment that Jesus offered on the cross was accepted by God. Jesus said from the cross, if you remember, he says, it is finished. Or the word translated is paid in full. That the cross was the payment. The resurrection is the proof that, that it went through. Like if you ever write a check, um, we don't write checks very much anymore. Um, yeah, but if you like write a check uh, and you give it to the person later when the check clears, like it doesn't bounce, you know that you had that money in the account, right? That's how checks work. Um, or it's like this. This is better. Like when you buy something, you get a receipt, right? It says that it went through. Here's the receipt. Here's proof of purchase. The cross of Christ is the payment for our sin. Jesus said it. Paid in full. It is finished. It is done. The receipt to that, proving that it is uh, that we have been forgiven of sin, that our sins have been washed away and paid for and, and done away with. The receipt of that, the proof of that, is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus lives, it proved to us, to me, to you, that our sins have been paid for. Past, present, future, our sins have been taken care of by Jesus. And the proof of that is found in the resurrection of Jesus. And so we can take great joys in that tonight, knowing that our sins have been paid for and the proof of it is found in the resurrection of Jesus. Um, moving right along. Verse 11, it says, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. Now, what's interesting in verse 10, it says that the disciples went away again to their homes. 
and she's standing outside of the tomb crying. And it kind of seems insensitive, especially if they were there at the same time. <laughs> like, how far of a distance did, you know, is it 30 minutes? Is it five minutes? Like, they showed up. They're like, he's gone. Let's go home. And she's just standing there kind of weeping. Um, they didn't say anything. John didn't say anything about how he believed that Jesus was alive. Peter didn't say anything. They just kind of went home. And you can imagine, like, what do you do with that? Like all of a sudden, like you run to the tomb that you saw him laid into and you knew he was there and you knew that he was dead. And all of a sudden, he's not there. Grave clothes are there. The head turban thing is there. But he's not. The stone is rolled away. I mean, who rolled this thing away? I mean, you have to think like they were just so caught off guard and perplexed by all this. But Mary is outside just kind of weeping. And John really highlights her story. And it's kind of a fascinating thing. She doesn't seem to really care about what she's about to see. It says she's weeping as she, uh, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels. Now, Peter and John didn't say anything about seeing angels. So she gets to see two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet wearing the where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She doesn't really seem that impressed. Like there's two angels sitting, one at the, the head of the table, one at the foot of the table, where Jesus' body was. They're in white. They're probably shining. And she's like, eh, I'm not impressed. Which is interesting because every time you see an angel appear in the Bible, people like fall on their face. And the angel, first thing they say is, do not fear, right? You said it. Do not fear, right? Don't be afraid. Because most of the time, people were scared to death of these things. But she, she's not impressed. She's more interested. Listen, she's more interested in Jesus. Where's Jesus? I'm not impressed by this and that. I just want Jesus. I don't care about, you know, how white your clothes are or whatever. Just kind of an interesting thing. Like, She's not impressed. She's not intimidated. She's more concerned with just finding out where Jesus is. And may that, I mean, that's something we need more in our church and in our churches in the, in the country. And, and just in general, it's like not an experience, not what this could do for me and what I'm seeing and what I'm, what's happening. I just want to know more of Jesus. That's what I need. That's what I want. And that's what she's after. Like, if you know where he is, then tell me. If you don't, then like get out of my way. Now, some commentators and some of the old older commentators believe that they motioned to her to turn around. Like, he's behind you. Turn around. But um, she's. they ask her, why are you weeping? They've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus. So she comes out of the tomb. She's backing out and she turns around and there's this... There he is. He's right in front of her. And, and, he, and she did not know that it was Jesus. She didn't know. She didn't recognize him. Some believe it's because um, maybe he still bore the marks of crucifixion. Some people are like, oh, I don't want that. Like, I don't want to see, like, I want pretty Jesus. I want to see that someday. Like, but he still bears the marks. Like, uh, he still bears the scars, right? John, when he saw um, Jesus in, in glory in the book of Revelation, says that it was, he saw a lamb that was slain. And so perhaps he still bears those marks. We don't know. But people who are like, I don't, I don't want to see that. 
that's going to be the most beautiful sight we ever see is the marks of his crucifixion because it's, it's reminders and it's a reminder to you and me of his love for, for us. These are marks that he bears on his body, scars that, that remind us of, of the sacrifice that he made for us, that he loves us and he cares for us, and that's why he did it. Um, and so maybe, maybe that's what it was. She didn't recognize him. Perhaps it was just you know, the shock of it all, and she didn't recognize him. And Jesus said to her in verse 15, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she supposed him to be the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She's so caught up in the whole thing. She's like, do you know where the body... We don't know what she looked like. Was she, like, really strong and, like, you know, beefed out, big shoulders? You know, <laughs> we don't know what she was like. <coughs> Sorry. Maybe she had my body type. I don't know. Maybe she was, you know, part of the, you know, Israeli weightlifting team. We don't know much about her. But <laughs> she's like, do you, if you know where the body is... Tell me, like, I'll carry it myself. I mean, she's just so passionate about finding Jesus. And, and I think just to, like, memorialize him, she, this guy delivered her from demons. Like, this, this is her Lord, her Savior. He gave her back her life. I mean, um, she just wanted to pay respects. And I don't, I don't know what she was after, but she's just so, you know, we can speculate and things like that, but we don't really know. But she is... Um, she is the first person on earth to meet the risen Lord. John was the first one to believe, but she's the first one to meet him. Um, but it's interesting that when she turns around, she doesn't recognize him. And I think the Bible is, is telling us something. And it's, it's trying, I mean, through every part of it, it's, it's wants us to know something about Jesus. And that is, I think it, it comes to show us or goes to show you that you can come face to face and be blinded to the fact that he's right there. You can be face to face. You've met people that are in church or something like that, or they're in a Bible study and they're just so unaffected by worship or the word and, and everyone else is kind of into it. And they're like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel it. I'm like, I'm not experiencing any of this. Um, but it goes to show you that you can be face to face with it and, be blinded to the fact that Jesus is right there. And people want to say that he's not real because they don't experience him or see him. But what the Bible is telling us is that you can be right next to him and not know him because you are blind by the, the God of this world. And so uh, you've heard it said that seeing is believing. But according to the Bible, believing is seeing. Um, that That's so often it's, it's always opposite of the world and, and it's an upside-down kingdom, and Jesus says, if you want to see, then believe, and you will see. Um, and so when Jesus kind of is, is telling her, you know, she says, sir, if they carried him away, tell me where he is. And Jesus says to her, Mary. He speaks her name. And in that minute of her hearing him say her name, she realizes who he is. That this is, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. That voice, maybe, you know, suddenly there's like this spiritual awareness or whatever. We don't know. But when he says her name, she recognizes the voice and she says, oh my gosh, it's him. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. She's like, oh, it's true. She's the first person on the earth to meet the risen Lord. 
And like I said, John was the first one to believe, but she's the first one to actually see him face to face. Um, and maybe you're watching this, maybe you don't know Jesus, you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, and you're like, I've never experienced this, or I've never experienced that. I encourage you, just pray, like, God, if you're real, call my name. If you, if you really are who you say that you are, then call my name. Speak to me. Reveal yourself to me. I love that. And in, in throughout, throughout our story, every time someone doubts whether or not Jesus is who he says that he is, he shows up in the room and he says, look, like, here are my, <laughs> here's the scar. And when she's like, I'm, she's distraught and she's doubting where he is and what's this, Jesus calls her name and he reveals himself. I'm alive. I'm real. Touch. I mean, it's incredible the way that Jesus deals with our doubts is not condemnation, but it's revelation. He just reveals himself in his grace and in his mercy. I don't deserve it, but he does. I mean, it's so cool. God is so much more patient than I think we give him credit for, or much more patient than I am, you know, especially being quarantined with all these kids. Like, (laughs) you know, you just lose your patience and you're like, I should be better than this. Aren't you glad God's not like, you're doubting again? Oh, I can't believe you. Oh, I can't, you know. He doesn't do that. He reveals himself. He shows himself. He gives us faith. I mean, it's just, uh, it's so cool. But what he says to her next is, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and go to my God and your God. Now, he says to her, don't cling to me. He's not telling her not to touch him. Like, hey, don't touch me. Um, <laughs> you'll defile me. And some, I think the Old Testament, or the, uh, the King James Version says, um, you know, do not touch me or something like that. The, the thing is, um, he's not telling her not to touch him because later he's going to tell Thomas to, to touch his side, to look at his hands. I mean, so, so it's not that, you know, theologically, if you're like, oh, she touched him, he would defile it. No, it's none of that. He's literally telling her, like, please let go. <laughs> like, I'm so glad that you are so excited, but you have to let go now. And he's like peeling her fingers off of, of her, you know, off of his arms. Like, okay, like, this is so great, but I haven't ascended yet. It's time for me to go. Um, so it, it's kind of a neat picture where she's like, finally, I found him and I'm not letting go. But that's the idea. She, he says, you have to let go. Um... But not only was she the first person to see Jesus, no touchy, I like it, that's great, Cusco. Uh, not only was she the first person to see Jesus, but she's the first to be a witness of Jesus. She is told by Jesus to go and tell, um, to go and tell the brethren that he is alive, which is interesting because there's got to be people who are much more qualified to be the first witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Number one, her past was pretty sketchy. You know, she was demon possessed seven times. I mean, it was pretty gnarly. Seven, she had seven demons in her. But also in a court of law in those days, a woman's testimony would mean nothing. And so she's testifying of Jesus. She's testifying that he's alive and telling the disciples that he's alive. And, and really, there's a lot of other people that would be more qualified to, to do that. But what's cool is that Jesus didn't let her past determine her present witness. And that's so often like our attitude 
in serving the Lord is like, I can't, man, I used to be like, I'm the last person that should be doing, you fill in the blank. But those are the type of people that Jesus uses. Those are the ones that he brings up out of the, out of the, the clay and then uses them to the glory of God. And she's a prime example of that. And I love that Jesus takes someone who would be marginalized, who would be um, kind of an outcast, someone who's on the outskirts, and he brings them into his, his mission and into his family, and he gives them a position, and he welcomes them in, and then he allows them to serve alongside of him. And that's what God still does today in the life of his church. So such a, a cool, cool little side note. But Jesus says, go tell my brethren, which is really interesting. He doesn't say, hey, go tell the losers <laughs> that forsook me and left me um, like I told them they were going to do so. Uh, she doesn't, he doesn't say that. He doesn't even call them his disciples anymore. He calls them his brothers or his brethren. And the Bible always tells us that we are part of the family of God, that we've been brought close, that the Holy Spirit um, uh, is our friend and he draws us to the Lord, that Jesus has become our brother, God our Father. I mean, it's just a really cool picture of the triune God who brings us into his family and makes us one of his own. He says, those aren't my disciple, uh, disciples anymore. They're my brothers. They're, they're my family. And Jesus still today invites people into his family. He invites us into his family because of, by his death, by his resurrection, he has satisfied the wrath of God, the penalty for our sin, and has made a way for us to be reunited and, and redeemed back into a right relationship with God. We now have access into the family of God. That is really, really cool. That's also one of the blessings of the resurrection of Jesus, is we are now called the brothers and sisters and, and the family of God. And it says that Mary Magdalene came and told his disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Um, we were going to try and finish the chapter, but because of time and, um, and all of that, we won't be able to. But I encourage you to read ahead. There's more. It's a really cool story. Um, but this is like our crown jewel. I encourage you guys, you know, Easter's coming up. It's going to be a different Easter than we've had. You know, we're like at our own house, but that doesn't mean you can't party with the people at your house, you know? Just rejoicing the fact that Christ has given us life in that more abundantly. Um, we don't weep like others weep. I mean, death is is not the finality for us. It's it's um, a short stop on, on an eternal, you know, train. I mean, it's, it's um, there's so many things that we have to give thanks for and to celebrate because of what Christ has done for us. And so encourage you, just as Easter comes, you know, this Sunday is Palm Sunday. Prepare your heart for this week. Read through that, those last, you know, from, from the triumphal entry and read, read those days, the, the week of, uh, of Christ's passion and, and just seeing what he went through, but also just like his heart. And, and, you know, people say a lot of really important things as they kind of get closer to death. And, um, and so the things that Jesus says and write and lists for us and prays for us, I mean, man, there's so much to give God praise for and thanks for. And so I encourage you guys in these next few weeks, um, as we enter into Easter to prepare our hearts, fix our eyes on Jesus, his sacrifice, his glory, his kingdom, again, just rejoicing at what, um, 
what God has done for us. So let's pray and then we'll go before this uh, cuts me off, all right? Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are alive. And as we pray to you now, <clears throat> as we pray to you now, Lord, you hear us. We don't pray into the air, but Lord, we pray into the very ears of God and you hear us and, and, you, um, and you long to hear our voice and you love to be um, in fellowship through prayer with us. And we're so thankful for that, God. And we thank you for your death and your resurrection. Thank you that you're alive tonight. We pray, Lord, as we're at our own homes and, and just, again, um, not all together, but Lord, we pray that the body of Christ would, again, extend into our communities and throughout the world um, as, as we take the gospel through media, through whatever, um, whatever means necessary to get the gospel out. Because this is, this is what it's all about, the fact that Jesus is alive. And so... Um, we love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys. God bless you. So great to see all your names popping up. Love you guys so much. And uh, hope you're blessed. And uh, we'll see you again uh, Monday night if you want to join us for a community time where we just pray and, and talk about the Lord and um, get to see each other's faces. So love you guys. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye.